Okay, clearly we have had technical challenges and this sort of reminded me, you know, these are the times you remember. Like when I was a kid, one of our Thanksgivings, we actually had extra people over at our house. My dad had cooked this really great turkey on the grill and he had to stand up around the table and take hands and pray. And we learned that our dog does not join in prayer. As when we opened our eyes, she had grabbed the turkey and had gone down into the patio. And at that point, you can't just scrape that off and, and serve it. You're going to have a different sort of Thanksgiving, right? And so God is always surprising us. And this morning was filled. This is only one surprise. There's, there are others you guys don't know about. But the good news is God is among his people. And um, we're a community of God's people joined together through him. And today, as I mentioned earlier, the, um, the focus is on our youth for vision next year. Um, Paul, writing the young man, Timothy, who he had mentored, said this way. He said, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And today we celebrate what God is doing among our, among our young people. And we also ask, you know, how can we help? What do we do as a church? How can we see them as the leaders that God has called for the future? In, a sense, in essence, we say, we believe in you. And we have so many beautiful stories of young people and how they're rising to leadership. One of the ones that impacted me is the story of some twins. Their names are Alex and Brett Harris. Maybe you heard of them. They published a book over a decade ago called um, Do Hard Things. So let me tell you what happened to these guys. They were growing up. Walking with Christ, Christ followers, they're like, why, why does nobody ask anything of us? Why is no, nothing expected of teenagers? Why are we not being given anything to do? It's like they expect we're just going to emerge someday and we're going to be ready, but why not now? You'll see a picture of them, these guys. And they began asking this question. They, be, they began to realize, nowhere does God say that. Actually, God is always raising up young people. And so they said, what if we do this? What if we challenge those ideas people have about young people? There's really not anything for them. And they begin to actually take on the challenges, do the hard things. So at the age of 16, the two of them became the youngest to clerk for a state Supreme Court justice in their state. And it was just, they, they began facing the challenges and opportunities that would allow them to grow and to become the leaders needed for the future. This is what they said. God's word in all history demonstrates that we are far more capable than we think, but we are held captive by a lie. We've been conditioned to believe what is false, to stop when things feel hard, and to miss God's incredible purpose for our lives. So these guys said, how far can we go? How, how much can we grow as leaders? Where will this lead us? Actually, Alex went on to study law at Harvard Law School and, and clerk for two Supreme Court justices. His brother Brett started a, a teaching workshop for young writers to nurture young minds and aspiring writers for the future. And the message to young people all along the way is this. God has something for you to do in the world. And you don't have to wait for some time in the future. That time is now. And so what I say today is, we need you. We need you in the life and service of the body of Christ. Would you, would you pray with me? Lord, help us to get this as a church. Father, help us to see 
those young people who are around us when we sit for a worship service, those young people that, that you are cultivating, you are at work in their lives to prepare them for the future. Help us to trust in your ways, Lord, and to be willing to be a part of what you're doing. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The question is being asked right now, is there a new forgotten generation? A briefing was given to the European Parliament just recently that said this generation, folks born after about 1995, though they are the, the most diverse culture that we have, they're actually the most educated in terms of level of education, and, and they grew up in this digital age with so much opportunity, they're actually a generation that has fallen behind. And it's not just because of COVID that has contributed to this challenge. They are inheriting a world with less hope. Right now, they have fewer economic and earning opportunities. They have greater challenges than the generations we see, the couple of generations before them. They're the most vulnerable. They have now the highest levels of poverty at that age than generations before. And they're disillusioned in the world. And by the way, this is the world that we adults have given to them. This is the challenge that they have. And by the way, we're giving them tons of games to play, but we're not giving them a sense of spiritual purpose for their lives. And the structures of society, those things that used to help guide them and propel them forward like strong families and dependable work and life opportunities and faith, it's all being stripped away from them and leaving them wondering what, what life is ahead for them. What future do they have? Scripture says this, my people perish for lack of vision. In other words, when we can't see, we, we're not looking and asking where is God leading us how can we go forward with this? But I, what I say is this, as followers of Christ, we have every reason to be hopeful and to engage with what God is doing in the world. And the reason is we trust in the sovereignty of God. He, he is at work, the providence of God. He is at work around us and in the climate of the day. And it makes me say this may be one of the most important times for the church. We are in the best place ever to come alongside young people and encourage them to step forward as leaders and servants in the church and in the city. And by the way, this has always been God's way, we'll see today, that before those leaders were needed, he was nurturing, training, preparing, and getting them ready to do just that. For example, I think of Miriam. This is the sister of Moses. You know, when she was just a young girl, when her her mom put Moses in a basket to float down the river. They all left, but she stayed to make sure he would be safe. And she became a leader among her own people. Or I think Samuel, the boy who was taken uh, to the sanctuary by his mother, he grew spiritually so that his relationship with God even was greater than the priest Eli. Or I think of David, who when he was a young boy, was recruited by God and faced Goliath on the field of battle while all of the adults were just watching from the sidelines. Or I think of young Virgin Mary, who was called by God to give birth to Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Or, or I think of Jeremiah. Do you know that he became a prophet when he was a teenager? And actually when God called him, he said, this couldn't be happening. This is what it says. It says, ah, Lord, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say, 
I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. In other words, God is saying, I will do it. You need to trust in me. And so that's what I want to look at today. How do we empower that generation that is, that is coming? How do we encourage them? And what we heard read for us in Scripture is this, how Joshua begins to take leadership after Moses dies. God gives him authority over all of Israel. And I think we read this and we think, okay, he just appears in Scripture at this time. But he doesn't. God has been developing him since the time of his youth. And even Moses, I don't know if you know his story, he had 40 years of training before he began his ministry. The apostle Paul had 13 years of being trained before he took up his calling to serve the churches. And so Joshua actually shows up very early in the story of the people of God in Egypt. Let me read the first scene to you. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the top of the hill. By the way, those three guys, Moses, Aaron, and Hur, they're praying. And who's in the thick of it? It's Joshua, the young man. And the amazing thing is, right away, Joshua is being pushed into leadership as if to ask, will he rise to the challenge? Because Israel has no standing army at this time. They have no weapons of, of any note or significance. And yet Moses trusted him. And Moses expected good things of this man. And I think that's really sort of the beginning, isn't it? What do you think as you look at the young people? Do you... Do you believe in them? Do you believe that they're going to rise to the leadership that's needed for the next generation? As you look at them, do you have hope for them? Do you believe that God is working among them? I think this is where empowering our young people, where it begins. I know that it's easier to look at them and maybe see immaturity and to compare them to yourself and think, well, I was ahead of that. But by the way, you grew up in a different world, and I find that we as adults minimize what we were really like when we were kids. I mean, the adults, they called me a rascal. That was my story. I got into so much trouble. I was not even remotely in the likely to succeed category. I was goofy and I was awkward. I didn't have good grades. And like I said, I was often in trouble. But you know what I had? I had a mentor. I had one guy who, who believed in me. You'll see me sitting with him as I'm older. His name was Bob Davis. When I was young, he prayed with me. He talked with my dad when I wanted to go into ministry because my dad did not want me to do that. Um, he was not sure about it. And I cherish, I have to this day, a four-page typewritten letter he wrote to me in my, the fall of my freshman year in college in which he recognized gifts that I had that I couldn't have seen and a future that I wouldn't, didn't know that I would have. But he did it. He believed that I had a calling. He talked about God having a purpose for my life. He often would phone me and remind me of these things about his hopes and that he expected the best. Think of the power of that. Goethe, the German poet, said, treat a man as he is and he will remain as he is. Treat a man as he can and should be and he will become as he can 
and should be. So how are we treating our youth and how do we view them as we look at their lives? You see, this is the way of grace speaking into their lives. This is what we're called to do with the young people who are around us. Tell them what you see. But here, there's more. Here's Joshua. So Moses rose with his assistant, Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. You know what's happening there? Moses is going up onto the mountain to be in the presence of God and receive the law, and we think he's gone there alone, but he hasn't. He's taken the young man Joshua with him. You see, it's not just believing the best of the young people around us and encouraging them and speaking into their lives. It is being on the lookout for what God has planned and then taking them along with us. This is what Joshua finds with Moses. By the way, he's not a relative. He's not even from his tribe. But Moses takes him under his wing and he leads him along to some of the most important experiences for the people of God. And the beauty is, this, is that often God is doing this. If you trace out how God developed you, he often invested in you long before you would need the fruit of that investment. And that's what's happening with Joshua. And, and as I think about this, I think, you know, are we willing? You know, again, it's one thing to say, hey, I'm so happy about our young people. I, I, yeah, I want to cheer them on. It's another thing to say, I'll take, I'll walk with one of them. I'll mentor one of them. Um, let me tell you a story of that. And by the way, there's so many, again, so many culturally you could read. In fourth grade in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, years ago, they had a ruling in the school, and the school board said all of the kids have to pay for their own school books. But there was one fourth grade girl who said that's not right. Her family was wealthy, but she knew other poor kids who likely their families couldn't do this or they wouldn't be able to do it. And so you know what she did as a fourth grader? She rented a hall. She called for a gathering of everybody in the community because she wanted to oppose this. And the night, by the way, you'll see a picture of her. She was only 11 years old at the time. She called this meeting, and on the night before, her mother came to her and said, aren't you going to write down your speech, what you're going to say? And she said, no, I, I know exactly what I want to say. And sure enough, the next day, this fourth grader stood in front of a filled auditorium and told them that this was wrong. They shouldn't do this. And the event was a success, and her purpose was too. This was little Golda Meir, who became the first prime minister or prime minister of Israel as a fourth grader. You see, around you, you have future leaders. You have the people that God is developing and investing in for the future of all of us. How powerful is all of this? King David says this as he looks at his life. He says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. As he, he traces out his own life, he can see how God prepared him. And each of those steps. And so God now opens the eyes of Moses to see Joshua. And Moses takes him along and made him his aid. And again, let me ask that question. What if every adult, just one young person, I'm not talking about your own children. You're going to do that with your own children. One young person, you decided to stay in touch with. You spoke into their life. You became their encourager as a result of that. And are you willing to do that? You see, we are working to open the door. I gathered all of our staff. We are working to open the door of every ministry of Granada to engage our young people in the real work of ministry. But that's not all. 
Here's where we find Joshua. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend, and then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. As you see what's happened, so Moses goes in, he's allowed to go into this sanctuary and be there in the presence of God. He's still taking Joshua with him. He goes in, when his business is done, he leaves. But Joshua now has grown a relationship with God himself. And he stays in the presence of the Lord. How powerful is that? By the way, for our young people, you cannot rest on the faith of your parents. There's no secondhand faith. You must come to know the Lord yourself. You see, for Joshua to later lead the people, he first has to learn to walk with God. And this is what we pray for you, our young people at Granada. And by the way, do you know Joshua kept the faith? Later on, he's recruited to be one of two spies from his tribe to go on a reconnaissance mission into the land of promise. And when they come back, all but two of them say, we shouldn't do it, it's just too much. We can't accomplish this. But Joshua, at the risk of his life, stands up and says, I'm with the Lord. I'm with the Lord. I trust God in all of this. And so here is the beauty of this man-keeping faith. You know, I think for us as adults, our challenge is to model and instill the centrality of Christ. You see, Joshua got to this relationship with the Lord because he was, he was with Moses. He went into the tent. He, he saw Moses walking with God. And I think that's what we need here at Granada. We need a, a living and honest faith that invites our young people into worship. And it provides them an opportunity to worship with us and even lead in worship. By the way, this is why I'm so happy that, that we have Max Milian, who is leading contemporary worship here at Granada. He started at the day school I think when he was four years old. And we've watched God develop him for this time. And we have Rebecca Atencio. I don't know where Rebecca's sitting here. In the, she's somewhere around in here. Um, who's leading in Spanish. And so leading us in worship are our young people. And it's beautiful. Mike, the question that I have is, but will you leave room for them to lead you in worship that's a little bit different than what you're used to? because they're another generation. I remember fondly one of our elders, his name was Don Long and where he would sit each week. And I saw him coming to the contemporary service. And you know what? One day I went over to him, I said, Don, I know you love coming to the traditional service. You grew up with traditional worship. And he said, I'm here because I want to support the coming generation. That's why I wanna be present. And I wanna be in this worship service. Now let me circle back a little bit. Our young people need to see in us the truth of the gospel. Do they see in us a desperation for Christ? Do they see in us a need for forgiveness? We know we need to forgive. You see, they don't need platitudes or false worship from us. They need to hear an honest heart cry to God. And I don't know if you know this, they can, they can whiff hypocrisy a mile away. They know if this isn't real for us. One woman who has been a friend of mine for decades, the most powerful moment in her whole childhood really shaped her faith, happened. She woke up in the middle of the night and she heard the sound of someone talking. And she went downstairs and as she got downstairs, there was a crack in the door leading to her father's office. And she saw her father, he was on his knees and she stood there and listened and she was praying for all of the members of 
their family by name, and she heard her father, his heart cry to God, pleading with God for his own family, and she's never forgotten that day. You see, she could see the reality of faith in God in her father and in her father's life. And as you, you ask, you want them to know Christ is real? Let them see Christ in you. Let them see that he is the hope that you have in your life, the hope of glory. Let them see you living and sacrificing for the kingdom of God. Let them hear you confess your sins and your need for grace. You see, that's how they're going to, they're looking at you and they're wondering, is this stuff for real? Or are we just playing at this? And here's what happened. Moses said to the Lord, may the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them. One who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hand on him. Don't you love this? Moses doesn't presume that it's this guy that's been with him. He goes to the Lord and he says, Lord, there has to be a leader after me. You know, every single one of us, we're going to time out. Our time is going to run out. And the question is, will there be a leader that follows behind us? Will we pray this kind of prayer and say, Lord, raise someone up and help us to be a part of that? You see, our day of leadership is going to end and fall to another, and our prayer should be, appoint someone to lead. Appoint someone to stand up. Bring the right person. And God said, let it be Joshua. Joshua, he'd been preparing for 40 years. And so that's what we do. We trust that God will do this. By the way, do you know this is true of Jesus? He didn't start his public ministry until he was 30, and he didn't skip any step on his way to leadership. The reality is during his youth, he was being prepared. And we see all the ingredients in the story of Joshua in the one greater than Joshua, who is Jesus. Look at how it happened. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God And man, he had to grow. He had to grow, right? He had to grow in wisdom. He he wasn't born with all of the the things that he would need to be a leader. And the reality is, for me, that says as a church, be patient. Be loving. Jesus needed the presence of people and time with his father. You know, I always remember that story. You know that story from when Jesus was a boy? He was, within, he was in Jerusalem with his parents for the Passover. When the Passover feast was over, they joined a caravan, and they were a day away traveling north. When they looked around, they Jesus isn't with us. Where's Jesus? So they backtracked all the way to Jerusalem. They looked around Jerusalem, and it wasn't until the third day that they found him. Let me tell you, as a parent, I would be so terrified. I would be so anxious His parents were too, and they basically said, why have you done this to us? And he said, I had to be in the house of my father. And what scripture says, it says, they had no idea what he was talking about. (laughs) They had to be so patient with Jesus. He also needed time to grow. And the ability, they had to trust God through all of that. And so as you see the kids here at Granada, you're gonna see them after this at lunch. Again, be patient with them. They're kids. The youth, they're still youth. And love them through the years because God 
is developing them. And there was one final part to Jesus' preparation. The Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days to be tested. You see, wrapped up in this time of trial were the temptations he would face across the extent of his ministry. This wasn't punishment. It was training. You see, the temptations Jesus would face on the cross, he confronted all of them before the first day his ministry began. Here's how the book of Hebrews puts it. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obeyed. You know, he had to learn obedience. This took time for Jesus. We're not going to help our young people by making life too easy for them. That's what Alex and Brett discovered when they started doing hard things. Because that's not what they need. Yes, they need love and support and encouragement for sure. But they're going to be leading in the real world. One filled with loss and disappointment, with conflict and hard things. We must give them challenges to grow. They won't be ready to lead later on without that. I want to tell you what happened to those two guys who wrote do hard things. Alex became a standout attorney, and he was selected by Forbes to be a part of what's called Forbes's 30 Under 30. I don't know if you'll get that picture. There you go. And, um, and his brother, Brett, continues to be a writer, and he married a woman named Anna, who's a professional ballerina. You'll see the two of them. But let me tell you what happened. After they got married, Anna became so ill that she came close to death four or five times. He spent two years caring for her. And by that I mean, after she came out of the hospital, he would have to pick her up and carry her to the bathroom. He was the one who bathed her when she needed a bath. Brett said he had no idea that the hard thing that he would be doing would be caring for his wife. And this is what he said. Doing hard things is not just about doing the big things people see. It's also about faithfulness. You see, this isn't just preparing them for tasks for the future in leadership. It's preparing them for all that life is going to throw at them. And they're going to be hard things. You see, God wants them to, to build them for faithfulness. So whether, whether you serve or lead, they're going to be equipped for what lies ahead. And by the way, God is preparing them to take the helm in the future. And know that God will call them forward at the appointed time. And that time came for Joshua. We heard it in our text today. Let me read part of it again. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give them. Don't you love that? He's a completely different kind of leader than Moses is. And he has a different calling. He's going to fulfill what Moses hoped to do. That is actually bring them into the land. But God says, I'm going to be with you like I was with him. And that's the reality. It's empowered by the presence of God. Young people, one day you're going to be called to step forward, to take places of leadership, the very places that the adults around you have right now. And I believe God is going to do great things in you, and he's going to do great things through you. And I look forward to seeing how you're going to lead and how you're going to serve Christ. And let me tell you adults, 
Don't underestimate the power of your encouragement and your support in their lives. A writer that I liked years ago, his name is Don Miller. He grew up in a broken home and really never had a dad. He was riddled with guilt, and this created a deep insecurity that left him and his life empty and without direction. In short, he was a misfit. Actually, when he was in high school, his blunt self-assessment was, I wasn't good at anything. He didn't think he could do anything. He didn't know what his future would be, but something happened. And by the way, he, he didn't really care about it at that time either. But his youth director came to him one day and asked him to write an article for the youth group newsletter. And there was one very simple sentence that changed his life. After that article came out, his youth director came to him and said, Don, you're a really good writer. He encouraged him. And this was the first drop of pure grace that this young man had ever received. And it was as simple as that. His confidence grew. And today, Don is a gifted writer and a standout leader leading a business that's really pretty amazing. And, and it makes me say, adult, you don't realize the power you have in the lives of the young people that God has placed around you. You don't realize the opportunity God has given you to challenge them, to encourage them, to bring them alongside with you. So how will you apply this? In the back today, we have little note cards that say, we believe in you. Would you write just one if you haven't already? Select one young person and write them a letter and tell them why you believe in them as a means to encourage them. Are you willing to get close to the young people in our church to mentor one? Again, just one person. None of us can lead all of them, but all of us can be involved in the life of one of them. And will you be patient as God grows them into the leaders for the future? And will you allow them to lead even now? Would you pray together with me? Father, I pray that our young people would see that, that we need them that they share in the life of this church. We're not waiting till some time in the future for them to share in the ministry that happens here. But they're a part of this spiritual family now, and they have gifts that you've given to them already. Let this be a place, Lord, where they're encouraged and when they're invited into life together and service together with everyone else. And Father, I also pray that you would use their faith to challenge our own. Father, sometimes over the years we can become jaded and our hearts can become cold. Help us to see a vibrant and living faith in the youth, in the young adults of our church as an encouragement to us, as a reminder to us of the truth of the gospel. And in all of this, we give you thanks, Lord, for your wisdom in the way that you work among the generations. And Father, we pray that you would do that work here. Lord, I, I pray like Moses did. Lord, raise up future leaders for Granada. Uh, raise up the young women and men who are here uh, to lead in ways that bring the gospel to our city. And in all of this, Lord, we give you thanks. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.